0: The Australian government has been running a major public inquiry into misconduct in the banking and financial services industry. This inquiry was established after all of the big four Australian banks had run-ins with industry regulators. Commonwealth Bank had been accused by a financial intelligence agency of breaking Australian law 54,000 times by failing to report potential instances of money laundering totalling $624 million. NAB and ANZ admitted to market manipulation and unconscionable conduct. As the inquiry progresses, other firms in the sector are coming under scrutiny. According to Rowena or QC, the senior counsel on the inquiry, financial services firm AMP made a business decision to deliberately charge customers for services that it knew it could not and would not provide. It subsequently charged thousands of customers for services that they didn't receive and AMP could face charges for covering up and misleading the Australian Securities and Investments Commission over how this all happened. These organisations seem to be guilty of wrongdoing, but which individuals here did wrong? In the case of AMP, was it the board of the bank? The chair, Catherine Brenner, who quit? Everyone who knew about a cover-up but didn't report it? And what are the obligations of employees and shareholders of AMP? Should they condemn the organisation that they're tangled up with? Today, we're joined by Stephanie Collins, who's going to help us figure out who does wrong when organisations do wrong. You're listening to Dialogues.
1: So I think the first thing to say, right, is that um, we should really take seriously that wrongs done by organisations are done by the organisation. Um, and by that, what I mean is um, organisations should be understood as agents, right? They're persons, they're actors, they are entities in our social and political world. Uh, Yep, they're made up of other agents, right? They're made up of individuals, uh, but they have their own distinct decision-making procedures. uh, And those produce uh, goals and beliefs and policies and decisions and and wrongs sometimes um, that really are are not identical to any goals or beliefs or decisions or policies or wrongs done at the individual level. They're produced in this distinctly organisation way. Um, So if an organisation, um, say, charges customers for services that it can't or won't provide to them, um, then we should view that not as something that any individuals did, no matter what power they had within the organisation, uh, but rather as something that the organisation itself did um, as its own kind of distinctive entity. Um, So once we kind of view the original wrong in that way, as a wrong done by the organisation itself, um, then we can start to tell a story about the wrongs that that might imply about the individual members. So the way I would want to run it is to say the organisation did this wrong. Um, On the basis of that wrong, the organisation acquires certain obligations, certain duties uh, to rectify that wrong in some way, to provide compensation, maybe to be punished, uh, to provide redress of some form. Uh, Now, the organisation has that obligation, but of course, organisations are made up of people, right? So in order for the organisation to fulfil that obligation, uh, the members of the organisation are going to have to act in a kind of flesh and blood way. Um, and so when the organisation has this obligation to uh, compensate for the wrong it's done, uh, that's going to sort of entail that the members of the organisation have obligations to act in certain ways, to fulfil the organisational obligation. Um, and it's when members don't fulfil those obligations, so when they fail to um, to speak out, to um, take on costs as some of the directors of AMP have, have done. They've had a 25% um, pay cut this year. Um, so when, when, But when the members of organisations fail to take on those kinds of costs, um, that's when the members have really done wrong, or at least that's the wrong that we should focus on, rather than focusing on whatever they did way back in the past when the organisation originally committed the
0: wrongdoing. That's really interesting, Stephanie. So, football clubs are uh, organisations that also sometimes do wrong. So, we went to the MCG, which is uh, Melbourne's biggest uh, football ground, to ask some supporters what they thought about uh, organisational wrongdoing. So, suppose you found that like, your team is like in a doping scandal or something like that, yep. and um, did you think there's anything you had to do? Or
2: um,
1: I just stand by my team and hope that the scandal wouldn't
0: be true. So you don't think that you had, would have an obligation to kind of speak out um, against what they're doing? or? Um, yeah, if they are found doing the wrong thing, yeah, I'd sit there and be like they've got to be like reprimanded for it and um, be dealt with as it's not fair and it's um, very much
1: against the rules. So, yeah, I would feel like I would probably put, put a post up somewhere saying that what they've done is wrong and they should get reprimanded but I would still stand by the other team members that wouldn't be like
0: in that scandal. So organizations and teams often do bad things. Um, do you feel like if your team or, obli- or your uh, organization does something wrong, that you have any obligations to speak up about that? Or... Um, me personally speak up against them. Like yeah. so... No, personally I wouldn't, no. I'm not that sort of person. I might frown upon them doing something wrong, but I probably wouldn't speak out about it. Some people think that um, if it's kind of your team or organisation, then that means that you should do something about it. No, I no. <laughs> I think they've got a right to do what they do, and if they, they should fix it. I can't do anything as a follower, no. Do you feel like an obligation to speak up against what they did? Oh, I just
3: talking to my friends here and then sometimes if it's really
0: bad then maybe, but not a lot I'm on social media but I don't make statuses every 15 minutes so it's like, yeah What if you were a member of um, the team that did something wrong, would you, would you feel like you had to do something in particular then? Yeah, yeah, um, try and fix it <laughs> 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 Don't hide it Don't hide it, be accountable for it um, Yeah
2: work out a way to make it right. So I noticed that the first person talked about um, you know, standing by her team and hoping that the scandal wouldn't be true, and the second person said something about um, personally not wanting to uh, speak out and that the team, you know, it's, they're their problem and their mess, they have a right to do what they do and they should, they should clean that up. And I suppose one thing I noticed in there was that um, both of those people seemed to be thinking about the sports team and then responding to what their role might be in that as a supporter of the team. Mm -hmm. And I take it on your view, it's not necessarily the case at least that mere supporters of sports teams are actually members of organisations. So I took you to be saying something a bit stronger. We have these agents. Organisations are agents in their own right and they have members. So maybe it would help to say a bit more about how you think about membership so we can start to talk a bit more about whether these sports team supporters would actually count as members at all on your account.
1: That's great. Yeah, that's that's completely right. I thought that when I was listening um to the people too that um yeah, Merely supporting a team is not enough for you to count as a member of that organisation, um, in my view. Uh, so, uh, I think that in order to be a member of an organisation, um, two things have to be true of you. Um, so, first of all, you have to um, be licensed by the group's decision making procedure to have inputs into the procedure. So, yeah, it's true that fans sometimes influence um, the decisions that a sports team makes. Um, and, you know, maybe if the fans complained a lot about uh, a recent hire or something, then, you know, the the managers might kind of cave to the pressure and and sell them next season or something like that. So that can happen. But that kind of pressure that fans can place on teams is totally up to the discretion of managers whether or not they even take that into account right um, whereas if you're if you're a kind of member if you meet this first condition of having inputs licensed by the procedure then the procedure kind of has to listen to you it's like it's being irrational if it doesn't exactly. um, so that's that's one thing um, and then the second thing um, that you need to do to, to be a member is um, you need to be committed to abide by the results of the procedure so you need to have the procedure kind of um, bear upon your decisions that that commitment need not be kind of overriding and all circumstances I'm gonna do what my boss tells me to do. Um, but it's got to be that your presumption as you go about in the world is that you do whatever the policy of the organisation is. And that's probably not true of most sports fans.
2: So do you have a sense of how this is going to look in organisations that are familiar to many people, just mm-hmm. sort of large corporations, cell phone companies, whatever? I mean, yeah. what kind of subgroup of all employees ever is going to be on the hook as a member in your view?
1: Great yeah it's a really difficult question and I think there's just going to be vagueness I think there are going to be some people for whom it's kind of unclear whether or not they remember and maybe they will remember when it came to some decisions and not others Mm. so if you think about yeah like Vodafone or something okay we definitely have you know the board of directors we have the CEO we have the kind of the managers all those who are kind of writing policy and choosing how policy will be implemented so they're all in they're all in cool uh but when it comes to you know the person selling phones in the Vodafone shop down the road yeah good uh, I mean okay they have some uh input into the procedure in the sense that they can choose you know whether to go on a break now or in five minutes and which phone to suggest to this person or not um but I would say those kinds of inputs aren't Aren't really inputs into the policy level um, that would allow them to be to be on the hook. So I think there is going to be vagueness. How much of a manager do you have to be um, to be on the hook is is a question that's difficult to answer in the abstract, uh, and uh, in and abstract from any specific organisation action, um, but in general, kind of low-level employees probably going to be off, that's just like a contract that you have with the organisation, whereas higher level employees, managers, policy writers are going to be on the hook.
3: Mm. Stephanie, uh, one thing that came up in, in what we heard from folks was was loyalty. Uh, now, it seems that like loyalty is going to be pretty important in the context of, um, of groups and, and, and the ethics of it all. If I do something wrong on my own, there's, no, there's no, nothing disloyal about, you know, me act, then acting on some obligation or having an obligation, but it seems like if I'm a member of a group and the group's done something wrong, what, my loyalty to the group might, offhand, it seems like it might constrain uh, what kind of demands can be made of me. Or well, at least I've got that option, right? out of loyalty to the group, not doing what I ought to do if I was acting alone. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, I think this, it depends how we understand loyalty. Right. So um, you can be loyal by just standing by someone and, and never admitting that they've done wrong and defending them no matter what. That's one way of understanding loyalty. Uh, but another way to be loyal is exactly to take on cost um, in order to enable the group that you're loyal to to fulfil its obligations. So. I would endorse the second idea of that that's the best way to be loyal to an organisation of which you're a member is to ensure that it does its moral duty, um, to not try and prevent it from doing its moral duty. Uh, and so loyalty then maybe would actually suggest speaking up and taking on costs um, and, and sometimes sometimes condemning the organisation of which you're a part. Um, just as you know loyalty to myself and my own integrity, which I think we can sort of make sense of, uh, might require that I apologise for things I've done in the past. That's a matter of me maintaining. Maintaining my integrity as an individual, owning up to that and saying that that was wrong, um, enables me to kind of be a, a better person and be true to myself in some sense.
3: Okay, so loyalty might might constrain what you do publicly, perhaps, but you, you still got to do stuff to the group.
1: Uh, I think it, uh, public and private actions uh, to to enable or help the organisation fulfil. Um, its compensatory duty are both on the table as ways of being loyal. I would say.
2: I feel like even if we go Dan's mafia-style loyalty (laughs) way, right, we understand loyalty as this thing where there's certain people or groups Mm -hmm. that you just have to support. Um, You can just then still respond by saying loyalty can't be the thing that matters the most, right? I mean, when Mm -hmm. there's egregious wrongdoing by someone that you're in a close relationship with, whether that's a partner or a friend or a group, sometimes you should break rank with the loyalty because the moral stuff is more important.
3: Sure, I think it's just it's sometimes hard to work out which way to go, right? Yeah, sure.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: I do want to say that these, these obligations of members are obligations that they have as part of the group, right? So um, it's not just about, yeah, sticking by um, this thing that's separate from you and being true to it. It's also, it's really about doing, yeah, doing your own duty and then, yeah, I... I mean, you kind of brought up that maybe loyalty doesn't really make sense in that context of mm-hmm. it's my own duty. Um, so, yeah, I think yeah. It's, it's right. Can you just say maybe.
2: a bit more about what you think the content of these members' duties are? So we have big organisations doing wrong. Then we have the separate question about who the members are. Okay, mm-hmm. but once we figure that out, we know who they are. What exactly is it that you think they need to do when their group has done wrong?
1: Great, yeah, so this is going to vary a lot with context. Um as of course these things almost always are. Um, But in general, uh, the term that I would use for it is disavowal. So disavowing the wrong um, in some way. Because the reason I think that is because that's what our obligations are when we're individuals that do wrong, right? We have to kind of separate ourselves from the wrongdoing, um, make it right, kind of, say that it was the wrong thing for us to have done um, and in the organisational case disavowal might take the form of as some people um, at the MCG said kind of posting to social media that seemed to be the thing that they all reached for as um, as the action that they could take uh, about the team's wrongdoing um, it could take that form but probably more effective forms of disavowal are going to be uh, trying to change the character of the organisation so that it doesn't do wrong in the future again there's an analog here to the individual case right when i do wrong if i'm going to disavow that part of that is apologizing to the person who i did wrong to but another part is this much more kind of internally focused thing of changing myself um, so that i don't do similar things in the future and so in the case of organizational wrongdoing that's going to require acting upon the decision-making procedure of the organization to change it in whatever way Mm.
0: So the first type of uh, disavowal just doesn't seem that effective, right? It doesn't seem that important. I mean, yeah, focusing on the, our obligations to post on social media just doesn't seem like, I mean, like we do that all the time, but that is it really that important that we do that? And then not everyone is, that's a member of an organisation can presumably change that organisation in, kind of, in, in the future, so does it matter that we disavow what doing? Yeah.
1: good. So um, here's where I think that... The fact that I'm viewing members really as constituents of the organisation matters a lot. Um, So the point of disavowal, um, it is partly to change what the organisation does in the future, but it's not just that. It's also that when I act within and because of my role as a member, so when I act as a member to disavow what the organisation has done, the organisation in some part or to some extent also disavows its own wrongdoing. So the thought is that my actions as a member, if I disavow as a member, if I stand up and I say as a supporter of Collingwood or as an Australian citizen or whatever it is, I condemn such and such and so and so, assuming here that supporters are members, which we've already questioned, Um, then my doing that, because I'm doing it in my role as a member, um, my thought is partly constitutes the organisation's disavowing its own wrongdoing. And you might think that that, that that doesn't, um sort of do much for victims or whatever and um but i think i think i just want to disagree with that and it, it, re- it really matters that uh that agents speak out and say i did wrong i'm sorry um, i disavow the thing that i did wrong even if it doesn't mean they're going to change in the future we value that kind of backward-looking acknowledgement right and the thought is that members saying that stuff can just amount to the organization to some extent and in part of itself saying that stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm a a little bit worried. So, uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a British citizen. Britain has done like some... I I couldn't even go on Facebook and apologise for everything that Britain (laughs) has ever done wrong. That would be impossible. And some of the things that Britain has done wrong are things that it's done wrong to its own citizens. Those people don't seem like they're under an obligation. So it seems like, I mean, it might not matter in some cases. It seems like it's a lot of things to ask everyone to do, and it's not that important to ask them to do it. So... Yeah. Yeah.
1: Great. Yeah, I I think it is uh, true that uh, under this proposal, particularly citizens of powerful states are going to have these obligations everywhere. Right. I mean, as as a member of New Zealand, I'm going to have loads of obligations to do with the treatment of the Maori population, to do with all kinds of stuff. Right. So, um, I think. That's just a bullet we have to bite. So, we have a lot of moral obligations. We have to weigh them up against our other obligations, right? So, I'm certainly not saying that these are the most important obligations that we have. Um, We have to balance them up. Um, morality as a whole can only be so demanding on our time and resources, I think. Um, so yeah, it may well be that we end up saying, okay, these are obligations, but they're outweighed, or we can't discharge all of them or something like this. Um, and you know, that's I'm okay with that. Um, but I still want to say there are important moral reasons that should
2: factor into our decision making. So I also wanted to ask you a bit more about disavowal. I guess the... You know, my impulse would be to think what we want is for the organization to stop doing wrong or to redress wrong that it's done either in the past or that it's doing now. And I guess if you're thinking about it like that, the story about members disavowing what the group has done or or is doing just kind of seemed to be beside the point. I mean, why not tell a story about members doing a thing that would kind of add up to actually providing compensation or redress for the wrong historically or stopping the wrong from happening right now?
1: Mm-hmm. Good yes. Yeah. so I think those obligations I think that it also exists uh so I think that's also right but um it's often going to be that um the stopping the wrong from happening now if we're talking about large organizations that's something that falls upon the CEO or the directors, in the case of a for-profit corporation, or the government and senior civil servants, in the t- in the case of a state. Um, so, if we're thinking about kind of lower down members, uh, it's often going to be there's there's not much that they can do um, to change what the organisation does now. Um, you, you know, they can't decide whether or not the organisation is going to pay the fines that it pays. They can try and put pressure on, but then so can any non-member. And I think non-members probably also have those obligations to try and put pressure on the organisation to get it to yeah, pay the fine or stop having the wrongful policies or whatever it is. Um, but I think even once we've accounted for that, at least I mean, the reason why I wanted to develop this framework is that I still have the sense that um, even those things to one side, or even if I can't do those things because I'm not powerful enough, I'm still kind of tainted when my organisation does wrong, and so I'm trying to explore what's the nature of that taint and what kind of obligations do I get just on the basis of that.
2: Thanks, that's super interesting.
3: You've been listening to Dialogues, and I'm Dan Halliday from the University of Melbourne.
2: I'm Holly Lawford-Smith, also from the University of Melbourne.
0: I'm Richard Rowland from the Australian Catholic University.
2: And I'm Stephanie Collins,
1: also from the Australian Catholic University
3: and Dialogues is funded by the University of Melbourne.